Princess Rise for their Majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Welcome back to Royally Obsessed, a.k.a. Royals doing the most. There is never so sleeping. Much. Yeah. We always think that it's going to be a calm week and we are always surprised. The worst is happens while we're sleeping because of the time difference. Anyways, go on. True. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And it is time for your weekly update on all the royal news you need to know. Those couple reminders before we dive in, follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast, subscribe to the podcast, and send us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com. Yeah, we've been getting some good ones, so keep writing us. Really good reader emails. Roberta, How are you doing, Rachel? I'm good. How are you? I'm loving your Diana-inspired sweater from Rowing Blazers. Roberta's wearing the sweater that's I'm a luxury. Now, turn around. I want to see that few can afford. I'm trying to turn around on my it desk looks, chair. I love it. It's so good. It's so By good. Giles and George. I love it too. And it's super uh, comfy and warm on this gray day. You must be in air conditioning though because it's it's going to be 90 where I am in Massachusetts. Oh, really? I yeah. feel like it's pretty chilly out right now in <gasps> Philadelphia. It's just really gray. I feel like this weekend was like 90s and then now it's getting cool again. So. I know. Do you have any Memorial plans day for weekend? Memorial Day? That's what I was going to ask yeah, you. Yeah, it's supposed to be um, pretty chilly up here, but I'm actually going to Florida. What? So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, my brother's birthday is this weekend. Uh, so I'll be down there for that. That's so. so fun. You'll see your niece too. Yeah. What about oh. you? Do you have any plans? We're, we're going to Maine for vacation. Oh, we were nice. Like, we were there temporarily, of course, during the pandemic, but it'll be so nice. But the, but I'm nervous. The weather forecast says like 55 to 60. I'm like, yeah. I can still function. I just got to remember to pack all the, all the sweaters. <laughs> Looping it back. You can borrow mine. All yeah. right. <laughs> Well, coming up, we have, guys, I mean, like we said, there's so much. So we are going to kick things off talking about William and Kate on tour in Scotland. Very bright, sunny, fun photo ops. Lots to talk about there. Then we're going to be unpacking William's statement about Lord Dyson and the BBC investigation. A lot to get into there, Roberta. Finally, all the revelations from Prince Harry in the me you can't see. Did you finish all the episodes, Roberta? I did, yeah. I, I didn't. I'm only halfway. I feel like I was like, I actually really like needed to sit down and focus. I couldn't multitask while watching it, which is hard to do when we're always like juggling a lot of things. And it's it's really good. So we'll get into that. I will say it's like it's it was really hard to kind of watch so quickly because yeah. each episode is an hour and there's five episodes. So it was like it was it was pretty heavy stuff. I mean yeah. all of it ends on uh optimistic no but it was just a lot to do all yeah in, so I wouldn't rec- recommend that <laughs> I was pressuring myself to finish it in time for the recording but I only got through two and I was like I, you know what that's okay I'm gonna like totally be okay fine. give myself that permission yeah give yourself grace um well but first and now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail our royal refreshment we always have time for that cheers cheers I'm sipping Mezza Corona Rosé, which is an Italian rosé. It is delicious. Yeah, it's really kind of pretty light and dry, and I'm I'm into it. And we're toasting to Princess Beatrice. The baby news isn't stopping. I know. And it broke right after we recorded last week, so we were really upset about that. You did record a little addendum to the episode. I did. So to get into it, she's expecting a baby due this autumn. It'll be the queen's 12th great-grandchild. I mean, just like you said, so many royal babies. There's yeah. Eugenie, Zara, Megan, Beatrice, also Pippa. Yeah, Pippa. Yep, exactly. I mean, so many. 
the baby could have a royal title, but not from Beatrice. Did you see this? No, I didn't see this. So Edo is an Italian count in addition to being a real estate magnet for Bando properties. Do you I follow his Instagram. Yes. It's all like the most beautiful, stunning interiors and well, architecture. You know this, that I've been apartment hunting to get back to New York City. It's happening, yes. which is really exciting. Yay. And every time I see Edo's Instagram post, I'm like, when do I move in? <laughs> Maybe I just really? cancel my no, life. I feel like inspired the by the like probably couldn't afford the the price tag on those properties but they are stunning i i really am into his feed for the real estate same same well anyway so he's an italian count and so the baby could actually either be entitled to an honorific title of cont or noble donna i'm probably not saying that right it's nobile donna mm-hmm. um which means noble woman or cont if it's a, a boy so kind of exciting Very to have exciting. an italian uh, and i guess beatrice became countess when she married him so I love all the figuring out what the titles will be and also just the name guesses I I saw that because I always check like what the betting houses are saying that Florence and Theodore are front runners for Beatrice interesting yeah. do you know why I don't mm. know why yeah so cute names though I really like that I like Florence, Florence. a lot yeah I wonder I do too oh Florence could be for the Italian yeah for the Italian roots of mm-hmm. yeah Cute. I didn't look into all of that, but yeah. And uh, so he has this uh, son already. So Beatrice is a stepmother to the four-year-old Wolfie, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Christopher. Uh, Christopher Wolf is his name, so they nicknamed him Wolfie. So he will be a big brother, stepbrother. One thing I was going to say, that's right, about Wolfie. I was going to – I'm going to drop a quick link in this, if I can figure out how to do it, in the Zoom. Um, okay. Because something that threw me off with her pregnancy announcement was – I mean – not to mention the Daily Mail, but we did see photos of Beatrice out at dinner, right? And she was drinking from a wine glass in April. Do you remember? Yeah. I'm sure it was just like a super fancy restaurant, but um, that serves even water in a wine glass. But it it definitely and and there was a lot of scuttlebutt about the gift that Edo was carrying. Do you remember this? Yeah, it's like yellow and has like wrap like little. I think it has kind of like an animal print motif. And I'm like, is yeah, that, was that actually a baby gift for them? Oh, interesting. Am I like completely? Is this like wait? A- so she's definitely sipping out of a wine glass, but it's so hard to tell if it's water. I'm or wine. Sure I mean, obviously you can have water. like a glass of wine uh, yes. when you're pregnant, but once you're, it's just funny yeah. because she's multiple pictures of her like ch- kind of like tipping it back like yeah. it's very just like chugging it um <laughs> weird we also they announced it on harry and megan's anniversary oh, do we yeah. want to get I into mean, that i feel like is there anything there i just think that things happen and i don't think anyone i sometimes i'm like yes they're paying attention to everything and it's all strategic but then i'm like i don't know that that's strategic come on and i also read somewhere that they wanted to wait till after enough time had passed since prince philip's funeral yeah. so i think you know there's that there's like it's never a good day to announce things because there's always something happening and they so probably like- need to control it so that if like she's going to be out or something and they see a baby bump or something because we did get some recent pictures where you could, it was visible like that's i feel true. like maybe that's a part of it but but then on the flip side i'm like but harry and megan did announce supposedly their pregnancy at eugenie's wedding <laughs> So is this like payback? Who knows? Who, Who knows? knows? That's such a silly thing. Like it's such a petty thing to do. I it feel is. like it, they're like, probably above that. I think so. I feel like definitely. I don't think anyone cares. Um, but excited for them. Cheers to them. We're very cheers. Happy and 
let the baby name guessing continue and oh evolve. i just realized italian rose for edo who's italian and the that was the, the intention from the italian star. title the baby will get yes oh, love it <laughs> delicious well we have a wonderful reader email to share from you guys it is from deb she says as a longtime listener and fan of the pod i really enjoyed this week's chat with kristen meinzer it brought back wonderful memories of my own trip to harry and megan's wedding and that beautiful day May 19th happened to be our wedding anniversary. As an aside, Princess Eugenie was married on my birthday. So many royal connections here. So the day before the wedding, my husband and I took the train from London and rented a room in a nearby town. The day of the wedding, we got up at 5.30 and walked for 90 minutes, including through Windsor Great Park, to plant ourselves in the front row on the long walk. Attached her some, she sent us some photos, attached her some shots of that day, one of us, one of a cute little boy in the crown, and finally the money shot that I managed to get after waiting for several hours. When Harry and Meghan turned in our direction and waved, I nearly cried. Mm -hmm. Thanks again for such a fun and positively focused podcast. Those photos, Roberta. I loved it. I loved the little boy, especially his sign that he was holding up said, Meghan, marry me instead. And he's so cute. He's probably like three or four. It was really adorable. What an exciting day to be at Windsor for their wedding and on your own wedding anniversary. It's wild. I know. I just am mad that I didn't like strategize around that. I was pregnant, but I I just had Finn, but it was like, I do wish I had planned better and gone in person because it is, it's like you, you very rarely like, when's the next Royal wedding? It doesn't happen very often. Yeah. It really is such a momentous occasion and it was so fun to reminisce with Kristen I thought that yeah, was that really was great really fun. So that was glad really that fun. people enjoyed that um, alright moving on so this week in royal history and now this week in royal history the divorce of Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden reminder they were married in May 1960 and Margaret was 29 18 years later to the month their divorce was announced May 24th 1978 it was actually a decree nisi so that was conditional uh that was granted on May 24th their divorce was actually finalized on July 11th of the same year so 1978 rumors of a rift though began quite a while before 11 years before in 1967 so they had been having problems for a while mm. Tony back then was appointed artistic advisor of the Sunday Times, and it was said that he just – he loved his work so much. He wasn't really good at sitting around, kind of waiting on Margaret. He traveled a lot for photo assignments. Margaret, on the other hand, as we know, had kind of seen her mom and dad's loving marriage and relationship and also Elizabeth and Phillip's – I mean, working relationship and romantic relationship, they were kind of always together and they had this like steadfastness Mm -hmm. about them. And I just think that Margaret really wanted Tony to be around more and he wasn't. He was constantly traveling. And so I think that that was really hard on both of them. They both, as we know, had affairs. Tony's most traumatizing one for Margaret was with uh, younger Lady Jackie Rufus Isaacs. Margaret's affairs, she also had affairs. One was with Snowden's university friend, Anthony Barton. The other, as we all really well know, Roddy Llewellyn, who was 18 years her junior. So wanted to fact check the crown really quick. Did he have an affair with his friend and her husband, Camilla and Jeremy Fry? Because this was kind of a uh, eyebrow-raising part of the crown. It is definitely still unproven, but... He did father Camilla's child. He admitted to this years later. Polly Fry was proven by a DNA test. Polly was born three weeks after Margaret and Tony's wedding. So just very scandalous stuff. Very scandalous. Um, I shouldn't be laughing. I feel like I'm nervous laughing, but I feel like it is just like so (laughs) – 
it's just like, whoa, whoa. this is wild. Yes. Um, Snowden remarried in December of 1978, so the year that he and Margaret got divorced. It was just like a short five months after their divorce was finalized that he remarried. And he and his wife actually divorced 23 years later when she found out that he had fathered a different child, a son, while they were married. So Tony was a bit of a playboy. Um, The family we know, though, really, really loved him and remained close to him after the divorce. You kind of see that play out with the crown and how they sometimes even sided with him over Margaret, which felt so heartbreaking and must have been really, really hard for her. So Absolutely. I think Margaret is truly like – maybe one of the most fascinating royals. I feel like I love the episodes in The Crown that really focus on her. I'm also really still working my way through 99 glimpses of Princess Margaret. I had to take a break for Andrew Morton's book, but I feel like she's just the person that just, there's so many layers to her life. We get a lot of um, reader DMs about Margaret. We do. Which is interesting. I feel like people are really drawn to the royal rebel. And I do think that she, she, there is so much about her too. And there's so many parallels to, I think, what we continue to see in modern more modern royals. But anyways. All right, we're going to move on. Starting on a bright note, we are talking about Kate and William's Scotland tour, which, as we know, is still ongoing. William arrived first. Kate got there on Monday. They are there for about a week. We have lots to look forward to still. I feel like just this morning we saw them doing some land yacht racing. Did you see that in their Instagram yes. story? Wait, did you see that Kate said, come on, granddad, to him? No. To Prince I'm loving the asides. All of the asides that they have. The, that, this is the best part of the entire trip is all these little quips that I'm they like, have. I'm like, just but, have yeah, that she microphone was, near them, a hot mic, and pick and it And she all was up. like on three wheels for a lot of the time. Or two wheels, I guess, because it is a three-wheel land yacht. But she was like up on two wheels and was like skirting around and he won. But she was, at, at some point she was ahead and he was she was like, come on, granddad, to Prince William, which is hilarious. Kate is such a star. Like I, I feel like in their coupledom, like I obviously love Prince William too, but I feel like it's like when she shows up, it's just like, woohoo, we're going to see like, I don't know, she, she ups his game athletically for sure. Totally. You know. Um, but anyways, they um, are there. William arrived first, as I mentioned, because this is his chance to finally formalize the role of Lord High Commissioner of the Church of Scotland, which the Queen passed over to him earlier this year. It's also what we, when I mentioned what's upcoming, we are going to see in the next couple of days, the pair return to St. Andrews to mark 20 years since they first met while they were on campus there. Also, this is just an, a fun little detail that while they're in Scotland, they are actually referred to not as the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, but as the Earl and Countess of Strathern. So I always, I don't know. I always think of you with Scotland and the Royals, Roberta, too, because I know that's where your obsession kind of began. I actually tried to remember back uh, because of their visit to Orkney. I remember going to the Orkney Isles and uh, taking a ferry and we saw whales. Oh, my gosh. We actually saw like a whale, like the, I don't know what it's called when they like the tail comes out and they like flap it down. But it was so beautiful. It's something that's on my bucket list to go back to soon just because – Add it to the Google Doc when we plan the, our trip. I know. <laughs> the scenery is just so stunning there. I'm actually really enjoying Chris Jackson sort of because he's been there photographing some of it in his BTS. It's not really BTS of the Royals but just of the scenery because I think he mentioned – I'm like going to – he's back into running. I'm like following way too closely. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked it, those jogging videos. Yeah. I'm with you. Right yeah. <laughs> Sorry. He's like, thanks. Um, But anyway, so I thought, you know, we started things off hearing from William. He had just spoken about the 
BBC and the investigation with Martin Bashir. So we're going to get into that next. But his one of his first occasions while in Scotland was to give a speech about this and that mentioned the significance of Scotland to his life. And he talked about how it's the place where he's experienced some of the happiest memories, but also some of the saddest. And I just wanted this quote from him where he talks about the saddest was that he was at Balmoral when he was told that his mother had died. As a result, the connection I feel to Scotland will forever run deep. He also mentioned as part of that speech, the happier times are again, of course, where Kate met William. And that was, you know, it's the place of Santa St. Andrew. So I always, I think that that juxtaposition for him is really, really strong. Well, and then I like he brought it full circle of George, Charlotte, and Louis also getting a chance mm-hmm. to appreciate Scotland and having the the trips there with them and them really loving being at Balmoral and, and seeing the country. And I thought that was really sweet. It's like, you know, from his mother and the saddest part to one of the ha- more happier times of his life is being with his kids there. So I thought that was Yeah, sweet. a lot of significance with Scotland. But so anyways, I just wanted to go through this. I put together, Roberta doesn't know what I'm going to mention, just sort of highlights. Royal, I'm calling it Royal Rapid Fire. But for Ooh. they're very random. It's not necessarily tied to an I'm event. Excited. But one of my first highlights was the purple wisteria as a backdrop to when William had lunch at the Cold Townhouse Pub in Edinburgh. It was where he watched the Scottish Cup final with emergency responders. Did you see those? pictures it was like if you talk about like gorgeous backdrops this is the place that you definitely want to eat lunch at it's like instagram like just everything i thought you were gonna mention something about like how kate and pippa were the wisteria sisters wait were they yeah wisteria because it's like a climbing like they used to be called that when they were a courtship because it was like a social (laughs) climb Well, there was that time. I just didn't mention it. (laughs) But I I loved that, kicking things off, where that was one of the early events. And he was there, you know, doing the penalty kicks. He also participated in the – it's the anniversary of the mentally healthy football declaration that he made. So Mm. there were – you know, I just just think Athletic William is is where he's at at his best sometimes. Next, we saw him doing sustainable motor racing. Did you see those images? No, I And videos? Not. Okay, they're on uh-huh. the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge Instagram feed. He actually goes in these sustainable motor cars on a speedway. My immediate concern was, is it cool for the future king of England to go in a race car and drive? I was nervous. Yeah, that seems pretty – Maybe it's because that I That seems recently... like one of the more dangerous things they would have done. Yeah, like it, maybe it was because I recently watched – what was that movie with um, Matt Damon and Christian Bale? Oh, Ford versus Ferrari? Yeah, which is a great movie. Um, is it? I still haven't watched it. Oh, it's so good. I loved that movie. But I feel like just, I re- you know, I don't want to give anything away from that movie, but I just I just get anxious about motor racing. So, so I- it was more Ford versus Ferrari versus Mad Max. <laughs> oh, I've never seen Mad Max. <laughs> oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> that yeah. was a bad joke. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> but this occasion for William also does ladder up nicely to Earthshot. A lot of the events that they're doing in Scotland touch on the sustainable initiatives. And, yes, you know, so. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. A lot so, of them. So good for him. Are we getting into the outfits during yeah, this? Yeah, it's fire? coming up. Okay, it's okay. coming up. Okay. <laughs> I'm um, so eager so to talk about. <laughs> next up is William's flirtatious ice cream date with Betty. What did you think of that? Did you see this? Oh, this was very cute. Where this he was, was like, funny. she was like, it's he's customary. like, she's flirting with me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she was like, it's customary to give a lady a kiss on the cheek. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Rules have to relax a bit more. I liked the nod to COVID because sometimes you just like, it all feels so normal. I mean, I know we're coming out of it, but. He looked is, like he had a lot of fun though on that. That was like the little cheeky one. exchange. Yeah. Okay. Fashion. Kate's all blue Diana moment. Let's start with that. What did you think? I mean, it's, it's 
stunning. She did, I think she did an incredible job of emulating Diana uh, and also the colors of the Scottish flag, that bright royal blue. So she really, she really went for it with that. And I do think she knows obviously now that people will constantly compare what she wears to what Diana wore. And so I think that that's, you know, something that she probably thinks about when selecting the outfits, that it gets more attention that way. Um, And I just thought like, Kate, monochromatic Kate, really went for it on this trip. There's also the all-beige outfit, too. About the blue, though, real quick, do you wish she wore blue shoes? Because she wore the beige shoes. Beige shoes. That was the one switch from Diana. I think it would have been too much. Actually, I think I appreciate her choice. A nice, like, modernization. Yeah, But I I do like that it's, like, it does dovetail you talk about, like, the significance of what they wear with the fact that William, she probably knew what he was going to talk about with his speech as, you know, that it does – having a, a fashion moment that's head to toe Diana. Yeah. Was exactly. Very and it was a and it was a rewear blazer too. Yes, like I liked that she had worn the blazer before and it wasn't like, oh, she bought this entire outfit to like look like Diana because she knows that everyone will talk. It mm-hmm. wasn't like that at all. Like it was mm-hmm. like, oh like I have this blazer and like maybe the skirt will go with it. And then it's like, wow, like this is what my mother in law wore in September of ninety two or whatever it was. So um I, I really appreciated that. I thought she yeah. did a great job. And that visit was so funny with the music mix. Yes, I want to talk about that too. And another, that was another little quip from William where it's like, please turn that off. It's hurting my ears. Yeah. <laughs> She's like DJing. It's great. I love, you know, I just think whenever we see them doing sort of these kind of activities, it's it's more engaging. Did you get a flashback to the, their clubbing days? Yes. And also, I feel like they had something, I can't remember the event, but there was something where they were maybe at a... There definitely are images of them kind of mixing at a DJ stand from a ways back. Yeah. I just got – I just pictured them, like, in the club, like, dance – I don't know, like, in the London clubs. Like, they used to go out all the time before – They did. They really tied the knot, like, on their dating years. I just think that's so funny. Yeah. Um. So one other moment I wanted to mention that just was posted was the little kids in the Orkney Islands asking Kate, um, are you a prince? <laughs> she was like – no. And then they were like, are you a princess? And she's like, yes. It's just it's just endearing. So I thought she said they said, are you a prince? And then she goes, no, I'm the Duchess of Cambridge, but people call me Catherine or something. I thought that was really sweet because it was like, oh, I didn't. Kinda I, gets- I'm probably speeding it up just to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of does away with the title, though, which was really sweet because it was like, oh, these kids like, yeah. you know. They're not but when they said, the are you a princess? I love that she not because I think sometimes there's all these stories about like, is she actually a princess? She is. Yeah. So anyways, but come, you know, we have, those were the highlights I wanted to hit so far. I don't know if there's anything I missed, Roberta. One thing that I wanted to call out was speaking to first responders in Edinburgh, Prince William said, some people are quite happy they haven't seen their in-laws for a year. Oh, yeah. It's like, whoa, is that a, like a jab at the Middletons? But then he quickly added, I love my in-laws, which I yeah. thought was really sweet. So I was like, Good okay. save, William. Good save. And I'm sure they have seen, I feel like they've probably seen them a lot because- like we know that Carol and Michael are such good grandparents mm-hmm. to the kids and Carol always talks about hanging out with George, Charlotte, and Louise. So I, I thought that was really funny though. <laughs> yeah. Like some people are really happy they haven't seen their in-laws. I love um, those off-the-cuff remarks. But we, like we I said, know. there's so much more coming up. There's also going to be a screening of Cruella at the Palace of Holyrood House. What? When is yeah, that? Yeah, they're going to that. I don't know. I was I like was looking for the schedule and got sidetracked. And I was confused how long this tour is. So it started – Monday was when Kate arrived. Friday is when William arrived. But how do we know? I when know it ends? Kate's only there for four days, so I imagine it probably wraps She's up probably by Thursday. Okay, is what I would think. And there's a, and a, do you a think closing she, ceremony for William. Do you think she joined later because she was had childcare? Like was watching the kids, or what do you what do you think? Oh, interesting. Why did she join later? 
Maybe maybe it was just huh. That's a good question. I feel like maybe it was just to give William sort of those early opening days to really focus on that role, but I'm not sure. That's a good good question. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Hmm. I was thinking maybe she wanted to just it was the weekend and the kids aren't in school. She's like, man, I don't want to work on the weekend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Probably not. (laughs) Try yay, William. Let's let's move on to the Martin Bashir. Okay. Martin Bashir. This was, you know, we've been talking about this since November, and I feel like this was an explosive report. We also touched on it last week saying we were going to get the details of the report, and I think this was another thing that broke right after we recorded. But I thought, Roberta, if I could, if you would indulge me to just paint like a little bit of a picture to start this off, because – I feel like with William and Harry, they've each had a well-publicized moment that we are aware of. I'm sure there's been more that have rocked them to their core. With Harry, Mm -hmm. and we'll get into this with the me you can't see, that we know that it was the moment when he had to walk behind Diana's coffin at age 12, and that was completely unforgivable and life-changing for him. But with William, we, we know from a lot of reports that Diana's Panorama interview in particular when he was just 13, he was a student at Eton, really, really affected him. He was allowed apparently to view it alone in the headmaster's study. He cried through it and then apparently refused to take Diana's call. He was so livid about the fact that she would say all that so publicly. This also made me want to think about the timeline of things. You know, Charles' interview with Jonathan Dimbleby came first. So that was that aired in 1994. Panorama aired in 1995. Their divorce came soon after. Of course, Andrew Morton's book, as we know, came before all of this. And But at the time, it's interesting, actually, if you want a good Google, look at the New York Times reviews of Andrew Morton's book in 1992, where people are still guessing and assuming that Diana was involved, but they aren't confident that she's involved. It's oh, really, wow, yeah. it's poetic, like the writing. You're just like, well-written. Huh. Anyways, just kind of to give that context. But back to Bashir and Lord Dyson's investigation into the interview circumstances, you know, we know Diana was deceived into participating via Charles Spencer and that bank statements were falsified and shady behavior was carried out. So I think just kind of knowing the context of how much this impacted William, this gets us to his statement where you can really kind of hear the anger, rightly so, in his voice. So we're going to play a clip from that. It is my view that the deceitful way the interview was obtained substantially influenced what my mother said. The interview was a major contribution to making my parents' relationship worse and has since hurt countless others. It brings indescribable sadness to know that the BBC's failures contributed significantly to her fear, paranoia and isolation that I remember from those final years with her. But what saddens me most is that if the BBC had properly investigated the complaints and concerns first raised in 1995, my mother would have known that she had been deceived. So there's that statement, but then this is the moment that's giving everyone pause. It is my firm view that this panorama programme holds no legitimacy and should never be aired again. It effectively established a false narrative, which for over a quarter of a century has been commercialised by the BBC and others. This settled narrative now needs to be addressed by the BBC and anyone else who has written or intends to write about these events. I'm so confused about a false narrative because, like, I think she said a lot of that to Andrew Morton. 
mm-hmm. before. Well, so that's where, you know, the Twitter thread that a lot of people are talking about from Jane Merrick, she's the policy editor for iPaper. She said this so succinctly and Logically, she said, you know, the quote, the faking of documents for a story and the subsequent cover up are deplorable. And I really feel for the family. I would also say that is to suggest a 34 year old woman had no agency at all at the very moment she was getting back control of her life. Her life is bizarre. And she, you know, goes on to say that it's possible to just deplore Bashir's techniques and the BBC's conduct, which, of course, Roberta, we all do and still think mm-hmm. Diana's own words, her truth should be respected. Yeah. So what do you think? I, I feel I, I like very much agree with that, that Twitter thread. I feel like it's it feels like we, you and I have been talking about this for so, so long. <laughs> Every update of the Bashir case, we talk about highs and lows, whatever. So I do think it kind of feels like oh, like a weight of relief to know that actually she was shown falsified documents through her brother and that she was coerced into doing this interview. But I just feel like she would have said these things anyway. And the fact that William's saying that it shouldn't be shown, like this is a major interview of a historical figure. Like how could you repress that? I just don't understand that. I don't. I feel like it is kind of him speaking on behalf of the royal family. And any time that Diana is brought up, it reflects badly on the royal family. They did not handle it well. And so I think that he is kind of now that mouthpiece for them of, Mm -hmm. you know, but also understandably it's his mother and he saw the breakdown of their relationship. But would they have gotten a divorce anyway? It seems like from what I've read, they would have. So it's just that this really did make the wheels turn a bit quicker. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. I look at it almost like the major impact of this was that it expedited Diana's decision to talk about these experiences publicly. And it did likely add to her fear and paranoia and isolation if she's thinking that a lot of people are working against her. But I think that the part that isn't acknowledged is the role that the royal family played as well, because she clearly felt those things as a result of their behavior. And also just the the fact that The BBC, you know, there's a lot of finger wagging, of course, in that statement from William at the BBC, but they were just one piece of this puzzle. The the treatment by the tabloids, by so many others toward Diana, there were many forces at play against her. And I get that this is like you can say definitively that they are responsible and guilty for this one thing. They were completely wrong, but it's I think to discount those other factors is doesn't it feel like it's he's putting blinders on to like also all the other tabloids that Mm -hmm. are now piling on the BBC were also the ones who were chasing her down the street throwing you know putting their camera lens right in her face like it just was like it's it's not just the BBC and like for him to I mean I think he places a lot of the blame and yes for this interview the I think the the biggest problem with this interview is that the executives later covered up what Bashir had done. It, mm-hmm. if, he says, like, if she had known that this was how they secured the interview with her, it would have changed a lot of things. She wouldn't have been as paranoid. She would have thought, yeah. okay, these were fake documents, whatever. Would she have believed it? We don't know. But I think that's where the problem lies, is that the BBC's higher-ups tried to cover it up as well. Yeah. I like this quote from Aaron Vanderhoof in Vanity Fair. She wrote, It's hard not to imagine a version of the interview that balanced her enthusiasm for charitable work alongside her personal revelations, which, according to Dyson's report, is what a separate BBC journalist had originally inquired about before Bashir took over the story. 
The interview, even with everything we know now, remains a stunning look at a woman in so much pain that she's ready to burn it all down. Her power in that moment has nothing to do with Bashir. Mm-hmm. So it's like she, you know, she might not have been ready to say it publicly on television, but she had been saying these things to through the tapes to Andrew Morton, you know, the revelations about bulimia, about there were three of us in the marriage. I, I liked this quote too. It says, looking back decades later, it's impossible to deny that at least some of what she shared with Bashir in the interview would have come out eventually. Now that Charles and Camilla have been married for 16 years, it's obvious that Diana's pithy comment, there were three of us in the marriage, had to be based in fact. The revelations about the eating disorder, the difficulties during her pregnancy, her doubts about Charles being king were already in those Diana tapes. Yeah. You know? I know. So well, it's that's, like, the, that's where the timeline, I think, is important, that all of that was already kind of in the ether, and this was her, you know, taking control again of the narrative. But I do think, you know, I think it's interesting, too, because the BBC and the Royals in particular have a pretty strong relationship, you know, versus some of the other, the way that they're covered other places, you know? And Peter Hunt has a column where he even mentions that there's a royal liaison officer at the BBC to smooth the path between programming on the Royals now. So I... I mean, what do you think this program should be aired again? Like that was the interesting part of William's statement as well is sort of the implication. And that's what I – is he suggesting that it shouldn't ever be aired again or is he suggesting you should always – whenever you talk about it, you should give the context? It sounds like he's pretty forcefully suggesting it shouldn't be aired again. I think it should always be – it's part of our historical record of the events that occurred. I, I don't think that anything should be scrubbed from that record. That feels very shady. And for the future king to suggest that, it just kind of makes me – my skin crawl because I'm like, what – like, I don't think any kind of silence, like, any any kind of – you know, removal of something from the artifacts of history should occur. Like, that feels wrong, too. I don't know. I wanted to ask you, though, what did you think of the letter that Diana wrote to Bashir afterward? See, I don't know, because even when I saw that, um, which was also shared by Jane, if you want to check it out, it's I still feel like (sighs) I think that feels tainted to me slightly only because who asked her to write that and why would why would they ask her to write that? It's like to have sort of this like proof against when they knew that they were doing this sketchily. For those who don't know the letter, yeah, the letter says, for our listeners who don't know, Martin Bashir did not show me any documents nor give me any information that I was not previously aware of. I consented to the interview on Panorama without any undue pressure and have no regrets concerning the matter. That was from Diana, dated a few days before Christmas in 1995. Also, like, Bashir... I do feel like he's kind of a little bit of a scapegoat because BBC covered it up for him. You know what I mean? So it's like all the weight's being placed on his shoulders. He requested the documents, but he also goes to detail how how much of a friendship he and Diana had. I mean, she went to visit his wife with him, with him in the hospital when they had their third child. So I think it's like... To me, I think that all the... The continued problematic part of this is that, yes, Martin Bashir is guilty. Yes, the BBC has blood on their hands with all of this. And this they should be accountable for this. But I think it speaks to the larger issue that this relationship, the sort of like – I can't think of the expression, but it's like um, – but basically – the firm, everything we've come to understand from the Oprah interview about how this, like, I get the expression, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, like, kind of going Mm -hmm. back and forth. Like, I think that that is what needs to be overhauled. And I'm, that's kind of what I'm still waiting for. How are we fixing all of the, this problematic, these problematic ties? Yeah. There's that outstanding element. There's also the fact that 
we know in William's statement, he referred to it as my mother, to mm-hmm. Diana as my mother, and Harry, our mother, multiple times. So I do think, like, is this going to affect the Diana statue unveiling? What's going to happen there? I feel like there's a lot of unanswered questions still to this day about what's going on between them and how they've reacted separately to this and kind of in very different ways because Harry seems to put the blame more on the media as a whole. Well, and I want to get into that because, you know, I know we don't want to spend too much more time on this, but just, you know, Harry's statement was very different where he says, you know, our mother was an incredible woman who dedicated her life to service. She was resilient, brave, and unquestionably honest. The ripple effect of a culture of exploitation and unethical practices ultimately took her life. And he adds, to those who have taken some form of accountability, thank you for owning it. That is the first step towards justice and truth. Yet what deeply concerns me is that practices like these and even worse are still widespread today. Then and now it's bigger than one outlet, one network, or one publication. And I guess I just wished, you know, William in that statement seemingly puts all the blame on the BBC, whereas Harry is talking about the bigger picture of this like larger troubling puzzle of how the relationship between the media and the firm kind of goes. So I think that's that's the big difference for me is just I think we need to talk about how this is going to change. Will it change when Charles is king, when William is king? Like, when is it going to change? The one thing I learned that really did surprise me after reading all this is that Diana got rid of her security, which was pretty robust at the time after learning about this and because of the paranoia from having those bank statements shown to her Did she get rid of it or did she lose it? I read that she got rid of it and replaced it with a private security firm. Okay. And it was one guy. And she Mm. was only with one security guard in Paris the night she died. So I do think it's like that part well, I yeah. can see where they could draw the line from this interview to ultimately her death but I don't know if you can actually draw the line from this interview to Diana and Charles' relationship getting worse it feels like that was already really yes. bad so I do think that that's where William you know it's like what is he being told through Charles versus what is you know and what everyone else understands and he has to like kind of play that line you know where he's you know it, it i feel like this revelation this update on the panorama interview does make me view diana's final years in a different light because i think if you have that in the back of the brain your brain that you're feeling paranoid and insecure about a lot of stuff where there's other factors and adding to it like your already kind of flawed relationship with the family as well as you know the constant tormenting of other publications it's going to be hard to feel like you can trust anyone. But don't you feel like we already knew that they were falsified bank statements and this is just like a little seal of... I mean, it is. Yeah, but I I guess I more mean like the revelations that have come out since November. Like I think that it does kind of taint how I see that interview. But I just think that if we don't call out the aggressive nature and continued fact manipulation by a lot of these other publications too as part of it. Right. It's just figuring out this game that everyone plays is, is complex. Yeah. Totally agree. All I right, don't know. I really on. was excited to talk about this because I could talk <laughs> about it for so another much. couple hours. There's so, so much. <laughs> we got to get into the meat. Yes. I can't see, though, because Ugh. hopefully at this point, everyone has had time to watch at least a little bit of it, if not all of it. Um, so we hope there's no spoilers for you guys at this point. So I watched it all in one go. As I said, I felt really heavy after. I don't Mm -hmm. recommend that, but also very inspired. Um, And so, as you know, the docuseries aired on Apple TV last Friday. There's sweeping scenes of Harry on the beach in California. Lots of footage of Diana and the paparazzi, you know, 
yep. being hounded by people that other clip, than the, BBC. the flashing. Like I think yeah. they, that that opening where you see hear all the camera flashes is really takes your breath away. Yeah. Young Harry and also teenage Harry. Harry in the military. There's a color video of Archie and Megan on the beach. It's that same video we saw, but this time in color of uh, Archie and Megan on the beach with the dogs and the chuck it thing. Mm-hmm. Archie and Harry swinging in their backyard. You get like a uh, little shot of Archie. So cute. Yeah. There's a couple little ones. It's so, so sweet. Uh, I broke this out into four parts. So okay. four buckets. I feel like this touches on four Smart. major things for Smart. Harry. I approve. So we're going to go through it that way. So it's organized. So first bucket is therapy. So Harry talks about why he started therapy four years ago. It was after an argument with Megan. He said he was afraid to lose her, but he also reverted back to his 12-year-old self and he didn't even realize it. He also says that he turned to drinking and drugs to get through everything that he'd experienced. He said, this is the quote from him. He says, you get in your head about it and then you're just like, everybody's looking at me. One bead of sweat feels like my whole face is pouring down. I'm just sweating. And then it's just all in my head and I'm going, this is so embarrassing. What are they thinking of me? They have no idea. I can't tell them. I was willing to drink. I was willing to take drugs. I was willing to try and do the things that made this me feel less like I was feeling. But I slowly became aware that okay, I wasn't drinking Monday to Friday, but I'd probably drink a week's worth in one day on a Friday or Saturday. And I would find myself drinking not because I was enjoying it, but because I was trying to mask something. I mean, that feels pretty big. This has made a lot of headlines because I think people are like, a royal admits to drinking and doing drugs. But it's like, we kind of all knew that, right? I think so. I mean, I feel like just him figuring out how to cope and it was definitely, yeah. I mean, I feel like he was all over the place for a little bit. Yeah, the Vegas pictures and stuff. Then we see Harry in this bucket of therapy. We see Harry doing EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So he does this therapy trick where he crosses his arms over his chest and he like drums his fingers on his shoulders and closes his eyes. And he's told to picture something that gives him anxiety. And the thing that he pictures is flying into London on a plane. So it's mm-hmm. a flight into London. And he says... He feels helpless. There's no escape. There's no way out of it. London is a big trigger for him. So I feel, and there, this was one of many things that he does this EMDR about. So there's other things in his past that I think that must be in an episode I haven't watched. Right? That was in the yeah, I think so. And I wanted to try it because I feel like anything that is triggering to you afterwards. He said he felt strength, and doing it, he felt calm, and didn't. It's supposed to reprogram your brain to not Mm -hmm. feel anxiety about this thing, and so. It was really interesting, and I want to read more about that. But, okay, moving on. Second bucket, Diana. So he references Dodi Al-Fayed in this clip. That feeling of being trapped within the family is... There was no option to leave. Eventually, when I made that decision for my family, I was still told, you can't do this. I was like, well, how bad does it have to get until I am allowed to do this? Where she was going to end her life. It shouldn't have to get to that. Do I have any regrets? Yeah, my biggest regret is not making more of a stance earlier on in my relationship with my wife and calling out the racism when I did. History was repeating itself. My mother was chased to her death while she was in a relationship with someone that wasn't white. And now look what's happened. You want to talk about history repeating itself? They're not going to stop until she dies. It's incredibly triggering 
potentially lose another woman in my life. Like, the, the, the list is growing. And it all comes back to the same people, the same business model, the same industry. That's, yeah, that's really... I mean, and the reference to Dodie is just one tiny part of that quote, but it really is so powerful. I think the way he talks about history repeating itself in so many ways that, you know, Megan and Dodie are both not non-white. They've faced racism in the press and, and Harry wishes that he did more to kind of call that out when it was happening. And he finally said, you know, I have to move my family away from it. It's so bad. Well, I think about that. For me, there was the part where he, you know, you see the montage of Diana with the, the shutters going off. Um, and he, she's like, that's enough. You know, she's really trying to kindly yeah. say, go away. Yeah. And Harry's discussion about how at the time he was much too young to be able to do anything. Like he saw his mother dealing with it, but he was too young and helpless as a result. And then talking about history repeating itself with Megan, of course, all of this was going to be so triggering for him because, you know, this was his chance where he had some power to make a change. And so I just think, you know, him mentioning that list, you know, he, the list was getting longer. The potential for it to get long, longer is so traumatic. And I can't imagine what they were dealing with. And there are a lot of references to Diana throughout. I think he talks a lot about not being able to grieve like everyone around him was grieving because, you know, he is this. 12-year-old boy following behind her casket and he sees everyone along lining the streets, the crowd sobbing, you know, paying tribute to his mother. And he's not even able to show emotion because of the stoicism, the stiff upper lip. That part really struck me as well because I I really think I've like touched lightly on it with the podcast, but I feel like it's weird when I think back to my childhood when Diana died. Like I feel like that was one of the first moments that I was like in touch with grief like and it's so weird because I didn't know her right and I think that that feels embarrassing to kind of admit but just hearing him talk about how he was allowed to express like one-tenth of the amount of grief that other people were showing that is insane it's so damaging I know it really it's like you see I mean when you see the video accompanying it you're like wow that just it hits home because we all you know he he even says he's like it wasn't Diana wasn't their mother, but like yet the, here they are doing this, and like I repressed all of this, and now and he kind of wasn't coming. allowed to, right? Right, exactly. Um, the f- third bucket that I want to talk about is Megan's mental health struggles. So they touch on the Royal Albert Hall engagement that Megan referenced in the Oprah interview, and she's six months pregnant with Archie. She's wearing that sequin navy sequin dress, and she said she had been struggling before this. She had suicidal thoughts. Um, Harry's reaction to those suicidal thoughts is something that we all kind of wanted to know about after the Oprah interview because it's like, what did Harry do? Like, he's this mental health advocate. He's super outspoken about mental health. And yet here's his wife dealing with something that's so, you know, you know, she's at her lowest point in her life. She's willing to take her own life. She's pregnant with their child. What did Harry do? So he touches on that. I think he kind of realizes that People were probably wondering, and he says, I'm somewhat ashamed of the way that I dealt with it. When my wife and I were in those chairs gripping each other's hand, the moment the lights go down, Megan starts crying. I'm feeling sorry for her, but I'm also really angry with myself that we're stuck in this situation. I was ashamed it got this bad. I was ashamed to go to my family because, to be honest with you, like a lot of other people my age could probably relate to, I know I'm not going to get from my family what I need. 
Harry touches on the bullying accusations that come that came out right before the Oprah interview. He says that Megan was crying into her pillow the night before the Oprah interview aired. He said because of the combined efforts of the firm and the media to smear her with those bullying accusations that came out right before, I was awoken in the middle of the night to her crying into her pillow because she doesn't want to wake me up because I'm already caring too much. That's heartbreaking. I held her. We talked. She cried and cried and cried. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say even just them talking about before they went to the Royal Albert Hall and Harry said that he was ashamed of the how he was like, oh, man, like, let me give you a quick hug. But like, all right, let, he wasn't suggesting that they just get on with it. But that's just sort of how they kind of went about it. They got into autopilot. And I thought hearing him talk about that, that is incredibly relatable because I think we all are pretty good at tamping down for the sake of getting on with it. And at what point is that just not a good idea? Right. At a point like that. (laughs) It also answers kind of to the critics of like, you know, this like I can kind of see or I saw some headlines that are like trying to poke holes in their stories and being like, well, they looked fine, you know. But then you see the video of actually the lights going down and them Mm -hmm. taking their seats, making hair. And he turns to her and she's squeezing his hand and he turns to her and he's like, and she's starting to cry. Like you can actually see her face fall as the lights go down. And it's like okay, there's a problem there. Like, he yeah, the looks footage in, they He almost looks included. upset because he's like, I can't do anything to help you. Like, you're crying when we're at this event. Like, you know, frustrated because obviously there's so many emotions. But yeah, I just, that part is like yeah, video evidence that we probably all saw but didn't realize what was going on behind the scenes. So yeah. um, then the final bucket that I want to talk about is the royal family. So Harry talks a lot about his relationship to the firm his you know struggles with feeling trapped so here's a clip about charles's parenting because my father used to say to me when i was younger he used to say to both william and i well it was like that for me so it's going to be like that for you that doesn't make sense just because you suffered that doesn't mean that your kids have to suffer in fact quite the opposite if you suffered, do everything you can to make sure that whatever experiences you, negative experiences that you had, that you can make it right for your kids. I completely agree with that. I mean, I think that that's the thing. It doesn't, that's almost like, you know, for anyone watching and benefiting from that advice, it's like you can break the cycle is what Harry's kind of saying. And I mean, of course, he uses the example of Charles to, to demonstrate that, but it's a powerful statement. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of the times that he's talking about Charles, I think of William and I think about what he might be holding in. And I do think Mm -hmm. like Harry has kind of come forward with his truth and has been able to speak about it because we know that he's, you know, been going to a therapist for four years and he's been able to really open up about his personal struggles. But I wonder if you know, I hope that William has someone like that in Kate where he can talk about because we know that you know, divorce affects everyone, you know, the kids especially. But I think with Charles and Diane, it was so public that there's no way that they don't have trauma from that. And I I hope that he's able to process it in some way. Well, I think that that's something that I do kind of feel bad about when I'm watching some of this is that Harry is now in a position where he can openly show all the ways that he's working through it. And I think that that's where it doesn't feel fair sometimes, you know, all the coverage to compare William and Harry because we truly don't know how William is processing it. And I'm sure that he is dealing with it in some way and he is affected by it in his own way. And I think to discount that he is not dealing with it, which I feel like a lot of the coverage does, it's like there, you know, I think that that's not fair. Well, and I don't think that he's not dealing Mm -hmm. with it, but probably in a different way and, and probably seeing 
just like Harry is doing with Archie, where he's breaking the cycle. I think he's breaking the cycle with George, Charlotte, and Louis. And we know exactly. that and him and Kate have such a strong relationship. And so I think that is his way of processing it. Is, yeah. You know, having such a good family relationship. We want to end on a high note with a clip about Harry now and how he's feeling. Yeah, I have no doubt that my mom would be incredibly proud of me. I'm living the life that she wanted to live for herself, living the life that she wanted us to be able to live. So not only do I know that she's incredibly proud of me, but that she's helped me get here. And I've never felt her presence more as I have done over the last year. I wish she could have met Megan. I wish she was around for Archie. I loved the good the mention of the you know how Archie says grandma to the picture of Diana, all of those things. I mean, I think that it does that is an optimistic note to end on for sure. Yeah. I will say too though, uh if people haven't watched it yet, also the other stories are really powerful. There's Zach Williams, who's Robin Williams' son, Ginny, who's an Olympic boxer who has OCD, Lady Gaga's stories are super powerful. There's a young Syrian refugee named Fozi, Hussein Manowar, who I love, the poet, the spoken Oprah. Poet. Uh Oprah, obviously, has goes without saying. But Rachel, there is also a new episode launching this Friday. Oh, there is? So, yes. So a companion episode. I just read this this morning. After de- It says, after debuting the Me You Can't See docuseries about mental health on Apple TV last week, Oprah and Harry are set to release a companion episode. It's a town hall format discussion titled The Me You Can't See, A Path Forward. It premieres this Friday, May 28th for free on Apple TV, and it reunites Oprah, Harry, and the participants of the multi-part docuseries. So wow. I'm assuming Gaga, I'm assuming Glenn Close, I'm assuming, you yeah. Know, so it's really, I mean, it's going to be very interesting. So we have more to do. <laughs> it never ends, really, truly. Yeah. I mean, I just felt like in general, though, I really can't encourage people to watch it enough because I think that all the coverage that court sort of says that Harry's just like, even in the score, kind of putting this out there, I disagree wholeheartedly because I think that this is more about him healing. Do you agree, yeah. Roberta? Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like, yeah, there's a Telegraph article by Camilla Tomini that says he's squandering popularity for the sake of evening the score. He's a man out for vengeance. I just, I don't think that that aligns with everything else that he's talking about in terms of how important mental health is, how important it is to share what you're going through, how important it is to have someone to lean on. He says, like, if you just have one person in your corner, you know, that one person can make such a big difference. It's not something about – it just doesn't feel vengeful. It feels like he's coming to terms with what has happened to him, and I think that can't be a bad thing, right? It's the abrupt death of his mother when he's 12, a – you know, a young man who's decided to buck tradition by asking for help. These are from The Hollywood Reporter. But it says, Harry's desire to alleviate his pain and perhaps even more compellingly play his part in ending the intergenerational trauma and repression in his family by getting treatment solidify the series through lines. So it really drives the point home. Exactly. Like, I feel like for him, honesty is like the only catharsis. And I feel like he, you know, this may be like the stateside perspective on it, but 
I just feel like he, what a modern man, like that he's able to talk so openly. And if this helps one person, like watch the whole thing. I think so many people maybe are just watching for these snippets. But if you see it within the context of the greater conversation, like the goal of this show is to help people. And I feel like it's helping. It's definitely helping me. It's definitely helping. I mean, I feel like my parents are watching it. Like a lot of people are tuning in. Shout out Apple Plus. But I feel like (laughs) I just, I think that it is a really powerful demonstration of how important mental health needs to be it should be covered for everyone yeah and i do think like it's all ties back to like maybe the british tabloids feeling like he he's got he's the one who got away and they feel a little bitter about everything they're still, so, so that bitter anytime, that camilla story is terrible like anytime I don't he opens his mouth they attack and i do think that no matter what he says it would be an attack it's he's he couldn't he can't do right in their eyes so it's like he's just gonna speak his truth no matter what and and i love this the final one of the final things that I left the show with from Harry was he says, I kind of feel like this was always meant to be like, he was always meant to go down this path. He was always meant to kind of how he feels honoring Diana in this way and breaking free. So that's his choice and he's going to do it. Well, I'm I'm excited to savor the next three episodes and and really process them. But, and then the companion, and then the companion episode. Wow, we had a lot to talk about. Again, a I could lot. talk about this a lot more. Please write us, by the way. I just want to emphasize that because we yeah. really want to hear your perspectives on both of these these big topics this week. Info at gallerypodcasts.com. Thanks, Don't Alberta. Yes. <laughs> All right, before we adjourn the Royal Pod, here are highs and lows. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. My low is just that Ella and Co. left me on red in the DMs. They <laughs> read it and saw it and didn't answer. Did they had a scene? What, there was scene? About, yeah, about the Cambridge. <laughs> they looked at it. The Cambridge dog name mystery continues. That was my low. Yours is also dog related. Too. I think they're probably like, in due time, Roberta, we will eventually reveal. <laughs> Have to check with the firm now. Um, <laughs> my low is the fact that we got word that the Queen's dog Fergus passed away. And this was a dorgy that had been given to her when Prince Philip was in the hospital in February and March. So she, I guess Prince Andrew gifted her these dogs, even though she said that she didn't want new dogs in her older years. So I don't know what that's about. Yeah. But um, but supposedly, you know, they brought, of course, brought her a lot of comfort. She was often seen out walking them around Windsor at Frogmore Cottage in that area. Uh, so she is left with two two dogs now. She has Mick, named after Locke Mick at Balmoral, and Candy. So sad. A puppy dying, though. I know. And I don't... after, like, losing her husband, losing... Just a lot of loss for her. Pet? I'm sure, like, it's... It's a lot. They don't compare, but I'm sure it was almost, like, just an additional blow. Yeah. Yeah. She did look super happy at the recent public event that she did yes. the engagement on yes, Saturday so yeah vibrant. so yes hopefully she's coping okay uh, my high is just Princess Eugenie's post about World Bee Day but also <laughs> about Princess Beatrice her pregnancy she said BB and Edo huge congratulations on your news can't wait to meet the little one she also says World Bee Day a day to celebrate nature's most badass little friend and I was like Oh, cute. It's the Badass. cutest. That little like BB. I love that nickname. I just love I know, the, the B emojis. Also that a royal is saying badass in a comment or a caption. I just think that that's it's really it's like, good. Yeah. I like yeah. Eugenie and Beatrice a lot. Um All right, let's talk about my high. The visual of Prince William getting the jab caused many a many a royal fan of William and just in general they're hard to flutter (laughs) he got the first shot at the Science Museum in London the reactions to the post on Duke and Duchess of Cambridge so good wasn't expecting a gun shown this early but happy I got an invite or I'm blushing and (laughs) 
my fave, Kate, come get your man. The girls are thirsty. <laughs> Kate, come get your man. <laughs> there was, of course, criticism as well, but I just, I'm just, people got to c- calm down. But just well, that, the criticism how did he get his, his shirt all the way up? Like, it oh. was, but my, my thing is that, yes, I know these photos are semi-staged, but did you see the lady behind him? She was clearly like mid-pen writing. Like, it seemed like someone just snapped it pretty quick. So it, I don't know. It, it was, he looks very good. I don't think it looks that staged. I feel like it's like pretty. I know what you're like, talking was about. Was he like flexing it... or something? I don't know. Oh. People were kind of insinuating. <laughs> I don't know, but well, and you're not supposed to flex, so that yeah, that would like, hurt. That actually is the number one thing they tell you. It's gonna be sore. I think that's after, just his so bicep. He's okay. Yeah. So the athleticism, it all comes full circle. Do you think we'll see Kate? At the oh gym? yeah, I, I nobody has confirmed that she's gotten it. So I'm curious what they'll do with that. And yeah, I don't know. Well, we'll see. Just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating. Here is one that says, Happy anniversary, Megan and Harry. I love your podcast, particularly this episode. Remembering Megan and Harry's wedding was great. Kristen Meinzer is awesome. She was awesome. Agree. Please have her back again. Wishing Megan and Harry many more happy years together. Oh, so sweet. Uh, reminder to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. You can also follow us personally. I'm at Robbie Frito. And I'm at RKBNYC. Until next week. God save the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.